Good morning. Welcome to our services this morning. We appreciate your presence very much. Over the last couple of months, we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount. We introduced that sermon and said it was groundbreaking. It was one of the most important sermons that was ever given in the history of mankind, in the history of Christians, in the history of God's people. And I think as we close out today that we can all look back and think through those sermons and if we recognize the state of the Jewish people at the time, the state of church people, Christian people, good people, however you want to put it at the time, we can recognize that what Christ taught them on that mountain was truly revolutionary. Changed the world. Changed the way people thought. It was revolutionary. And we're closing it out today in Matthew chapter 7 towards the end of that chapter. In the end of that chapter, it tells a little, gives a little, what we call a metaphor. It tells us a little story about a couple of builders that build a house. We've entitled the lesson of the morning, Inspecting Your Foundation. The picture on the screen shows the, what was called the Leaning Tower of Pisa. One of the seven wonders of the world. A tower that's 14 feet out of plumb at the top and gets a little further out of plumb every year, one twentieth of an inch. The word Pisa actually means marshy land. So you think they would have thought about that, right? I'm going to build this tall tower on marshy land. Foundation is probably going to be important. They have spent Millions of dollars working on the foundation after the fact, trying to keep one of the seven wonders of the world from falling over. But the Bible talks to us at the end of Matthew chapter 7 as Jesus is winding down this sermon on the mountain about this very thing, about this foundation. And in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse number 24, it says, Whoever hears these teachings of mine and obeys them is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. It rained hard. The floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. But it did not fall because it was built on a rock. And we've got a picture of this bluff, this rock bluff with a house that's built solidly on the rock. Matthew chapter 7 goes on and Jesus talking goes on in number in verse 26 and says, Whoever hears these teachings of mine and does not obey them is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. It rained hard, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a loud crash. And we've got a picture of a house that's on a beach that apparently the foundation has washed out from underneath it. It's fallen over, I'm assuming, with a very loud crash. So we've got these two stories that Jesus lays side by side in the comparison. And I want to, I want to kind of break those down and talk about some of the similarities, talk about some of the differences, talk about what these two stories could mean to us today. First of all, let's look at similarities So there's this thought that both heard the gospel. So what these two metaphors are about is about two Christian people, right? One that obeys and does what he's supposed to and one that doesn't. You know, for a long time I thought it was about just two people. One was a Christian that built his house on a rock and one was a non-believer that didn't care what he built his house on. 
But I think the Bible, the story, the context of what's going on here in Matthew chapter 7 points out that that's not the case. These are two people that are at least outwardly professing to be Christians, but one's doing something right and one's doing something that was wrong. And so we'll think about that. We'll look about that. The Bible says, whosoever hears these words of mine. So both home builders heard what Christ had to say. So that's a similarity. That's both the same. Both begun to build their lives or their houses. It says it's like a man who built his house. And in both stories, they build a house. They are of similar designs. The only difference that Jesus points out here between the designs of their homes are the foundations that they were built on. And finally, the last similarity is that both houses were challenged. The rains, the floods, and the winds came equally on both homes. We'll talk about that a little bit further here in a minute as well. Now, there were some differences. House number one says in his in Jesus' description says they obey the words that they heard. House number two says they obey not the words that were heard. One is characterized as a wise man, one is characterized as being foolish. One is built on the rock, the other is built on the sand. In fact, in Luke's trans, uh, Luke's storytelling of this same story, he said, he is like a man which built a house and digged deep and laid the foundation on rock. So this, this person that built it on rock actually did some extra work. He didn't just go out and build his house on whatever was there. He dug down and found that right foundation. I think that's important. We'll talk about that a little bit here this morning as well. <clears throat> and finally, the result is that one of those houses stood and one of those houses fell. And so what do we take from all of that? What do we learn from all of that? If we put it in context of this whole chapter, we recognize that he has been talking and addressing scribes and Pharisees, but let's not get confused about that. He's addressing people that profess to be Christians on the outside, but inside they're not. That's really who he's talking to. In those days, they were called scribes and Pharisees. But he's addressing people whose outward appearance is Christian, but whose inward appearance is not. In fact, he describes that later in Matthew, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes too. He taught us about this inner heart, and he talked about in the Beatitudes, this peacefulness, this happiness that we get if we're of the right heart. He tells us to avoid people that have the bad heart. And finally, right before this story, he He's uh, acknowledging, he says that acknowledging God and just going through the motions is not enough. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second as well. There's some words in these stories that are important. And I want to, I want to walk through those really, uh, really fast as well. Verse number 24 starts off with therefore. Sister Christie sends me verses a lot of times. She's reading the Bible. She sends me verses. She says, what do you think about this? Are they talking about whatever? And a couple of months ago, she sent me one that started with therefore. And I said, any verse that starts with therefore, we need to figure out what it's there for. Two separate words, there and for. Because therefore is a connector word. It's referring back to something that happened right before. So it's saying, because of this story I just told you, because of whatever, therefore, 
It's like these two people that built a house. So what what is there for? There for. Well, if we look at the preceding verses right before it, in verses 21 and 23, it says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, it's like two people that go about building houses and one does it right and one doesn't. So what does this verse tell us? You know, these for a long time and probably still today, these are the scariest verses in the Bible to me. Because this is talking about somebody that thinks they're saved, but they're not. This is talking about somebody that says, Whoa, Lord, we did all these things for you. What do you mean you never knew me? And so if you put that in context with this entire sermon, he's talking to people that have this outward appearance, but on the inside, it'll tells us later in the, it tells us later his characterization of these people, it's like dead men's bones inside. They're full of uncleanness. So he's talking to people that are like that. He's talking to people that are beating their chest and praying out in public and going, look at what a Christian I am, the Pharisees. He's saying, these people don't know me. These people don't know me. Depart from me. Scary verses. So that's why I tell you that these are two people that think they're Christians that are building these houses because therefore there's two people that built houses. One does it the right way. One doesn't do it the right way. That's been the entire message of this Sermon on the Mount. It's been transforming us from thinking about our behaviors outwardly. Old, ver- old version, don't kill, don't murder. New version, don't hate. Old version, don't commit adultery. New version, don't even look onto a woman with lust. Heart, inward. I'm going to beat this thing all day because that's where my heart is. Heart. It's talking about the inward man. Another word that's important, whoever. It's wide open to whoever wants to build the house. It doesn't matter what color. It doesn't matter what religion. I mean, what education. It doesn't matter male, female. Whoever wants to build a house with Jesus can build the house. And so we need to realize that Jesus is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter how much money you've got or who you are or anything about it. Another thing that's important is when he talks about the tragedies that are coming upon these houses, he doesn't use the word if. He doesn't say if the rains come and if the floods come and if the winds blow. He said the the rain came and the floods and the wind. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian doing it the right way, a Christian that's faking it, or a non-believer, challenges are going to come. Challenges are going to come to your home, to your house. We live in a world full of sin. We're going to lose loved ones. We're going to lose friends. We're going to lose close relatives. We're going to have disease. We're going to have friends that catch those diseases and don't live as long as we hoped they would on this earth. Every home is going to face those challenges. It's not a matter of if. 
It's only a matter of when. Every home's going to face them. So he says, because of that, let's start with a good solid foundation and what we're building on. Every home built won't spend much time there. That's pretty self-explanatory. Every home, every home is built. The last one that I want to spend uh, quite a bit of time on this morning is this concept of hears. He says, in, in, in both cases, these people heard him. So both people heard the gospel. Both people heard God's commands, but they responded to it in very different ways. One person internalized it and began to live a life that loved Christ. And another person just said, yeah, I'll take it. I'll go to church because mom and dad did or because it's the right thing to do or because friends go or because I don't want the elders to call me. Whatever the reason, I'll go to church and put on the outward facade of the Christian. But inwardly, you know, I'm worried about who's going to win the Super Bowl next weekend. By the way, you're all invited over to the house. Who's going to win the Super Bowl next weekend? That's, you know, we're thinking about all of those things that are going on in our lives and not about Christ. We're not focused where we need to be focused. In fact, there are actually three stages of hearing. Well, there's really four. One is ignoring, which means you're not even listening. But if you're pretending to listen, there are three stages. And the outward, or the very first level, is what's called a focus on me. So if Mario starts telling me a story, and as Mario's telling that story to me, I start thinking, okay, but my story's better. And I start, you know, I start focusing on me. Yeah, but Mario, I won't even let Mario finish his story before I'm coming over the top with my better story that's bigger than Mario's story. Or I'm thinking about Mario's telling me the story and he's, he's got a problem. And I'm thinking, man, I've got the fix, man. Here it is. And before he's even through, fin- I'm focused on me. It's all about me. That happens at work sometimes. One of my employees will come in with a problem and before he's got one half the sentence out, I'm on the whiteboard telling him what all he needs to do to fix his problem. Haven't even heard all of his problem yet. That's a focus on me. That's me thinking I've got the solution. I've got the better story. I've got the fix. Says uh, it's focused on meeting our own needs. The, the thing that takes, that takes you from level one to a level two listening is a very interesting word, and that is called curiosity. That's one way of putting it. So in order for me to move to that second level of listening to the story, I've got to actually be curious about you and about the story that you're telling me. I've got to be interested in that story. In fact, in level two, the focus is on them the listener is no longer trying to figure out how it affects me and what my response is. Now, we can get to level two pretty quickly when we want to. Level two is when a friend comes to tell us about the loss of a loved one. When a friend comes to tell us a very serious problem, we get very curious. We get empathetic with that friend, right? And all of a sudden, it's not really about me. It's not about my response. It's about how do I listen and help this person? Right, that's level two listening, and we're going to talk about we're going to we're going to look at this here in a minute in a parable that Jesus teaches later on in, Ch- in Matthew that I believe proves exactly this. <clears throat> to stay in level two, you've got to have compassion and heart, and isn't that what Jesus has been teaching in the the sermon, this whole sermon? 
It's about your heart. It's about caring for your fellow man. It's about a personal relationship with you and me. It's not about this outward facade. To stay in level two, you've got to have that. To get to level three, very, very difficult to get there. You're focused on everything. So it's now focused on the mannerisms. It's focused on the loudness and the inflection in the voice. It's focused on emotions. It's focused on the actions and the inactions. It's fo- You're focusing on everything that's going on along with the story. You're taking it all in with all of your senses, with your eyes, with your ears, with your, with your nose, with everything that's going on. You're taking in the whole story. And that's what we call being present in the moment. Would that we could all be present in the moment. I know that's impossible. Especially when somebody's given a sermon. But um, the, 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 important, the thing I'm trying to point out here is that there was two different levels of listening going on even in this parable where they built their houses, right? One listened and obeyed. One listened and didn't. So maybe one was listening up here. Hey, it's all about me. I'm going to go about building my house my way, doing my thing. And the other one said, Lord, tell me about this house. Tell me about what I should do. Did I dig deep and find the rock? Okay, cool. Set my foundation on that. So let's look at this uh, parable that happens in Matthew chapter 13. So in Matthew chapter 13, and I don't have the parable uh, on the board. We're just going to go through a few things. But this is a very unique, and I've talked to you a little bit about this parable before. It's broken actually into two parts. Jesus speaks a parable, and then later on, ten verses later or whatever, he comes and he tells them what that parable means. And there's some really interesting stuff that happens between him giving the parable and him coming back with the explanation. Let me run through the parable with you real quick, and then we'll talk about the in-between. So he tells us that this sower that goes out to sow seed, that the seed is the Word of God. And he tells us that these soils represent the heart of man, represents man's heart. He sows some by the wayside. That's this picture over here. And he said the fowls gather it up. His explanation later in Matthew 13, chapter 8, or verse 18 is that that is the wicked one or the devil that steals the word out of their heart. So they come to church and they hear the word, but, man, it's not even sown. They've got so much going on. Their mind's not there. The devil's got a hold of it. They can't find a place for it to even plant in their heart. The stony ground is, they, it sprang up, but the sun withered it away. His explanation at the end of the chapter is that that is receiving the word quickly with joy, but persecutions come because of the word and he or she is offended. So somebody comes to church, they hear the word, they may even decide to obey the gospel, become baptized, become a Christian, and they get back to the office and everybody starts telling that story and everybody starts ridiculing them and mocking them and making fun of them. And that's the last time you see them. They were persecuted beyond their ability to handle it. And and you never see them again. They never come back. Then he goes on to say there's this thorny ground. And this is the the dangerous ground for me because it says that that the word sprang up. But then the thorns choked it out. So the explanation is that they received the word, but the cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, choked it out. And he becomes unfruitful. You see, I believe that the thorny ground and the 
sandy sandy foundation are the same. I believe these are people that hear the word, think they're going to be Christians, but the world really keeps them from doing it. They're involved in the world. They're involved in the deceitfulness of riches. It's just a facade. The Christian thing is is just a facade for them. And I think this is the American problem today. I think I've told you that. I've shared that with you. That the thorny ground is what we've got to fight against. The deceitfulness of riches. I've also told you that if you drove to work or drove to the building here this morning, you're in the top 5% of the wealthiest people in the world. Wealthy, you're rich. There are some of us that have more money and less money than others in this building. But if you drove here this morning, if you own an automobile and have a place to lay your head at night, top 5% of the richest people in the world. Those riches will deceive you. They will get you to thinking that you're actually in control of something. You'll start laying it up in your 401k. You'll start building your houses and your cars. And you'll think, I'm in control of something. You're in control of nothing. Nothing. You can't even control whether you get your next breath. The Lord's given that to you. That thorny ground is so deceitful. It's like building your house on the sand, man. You're just going about doing it my way, doing everything the way I want to do it. Then some sprang up on the good ground, and it said those are those that hear the word, understand it, that you bear fruit. Some hundred, some sixty, some thirty-fold. You're building your house on the rock, on the firm foundation. Now, what happens in between those two verses? Well, in Matthew chapter 9 it says, He who hath ears to hear, let him hear. So he tells it, the sower goes out, he throws it on some on this ground, some on that ground, some on this, some on that. He who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And he kind of stops. The story's interrupted. I don't know what he does. I've envisioned that he just kind of kneels down, draws in the dirt, does whatever. He who hath ears to hear, let him hear. This was a listening test. Were you listening to me at level one? At level two or three? Were you paying attention to my parable? That's what Jesus just did. Now what did the disciples do? Look at verse 10. It's not up there. But verse 10 says, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou to them in parables? What are the disciples doing there? Showing curiosity. They're at least at level 2. They're going, Why did you just give that parable, Lord? Tell us more. We're interested. We're listening. And so he goes about telling them, what that parable says. But he tells them that there are people whose hearts are not right. For these people's hearts is waxed gross and their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes they have closed. Some people just don't listen to what I have to say. They're not hearing the instructions of how to build the house. Then there are those whose hearts are right. He says, But blessed are your ears, for they see your eyes. I'm sorry, your ears don't see. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Hearing what the Lord has to tell us is vitally important. 
So summing it all up. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse number 27, it says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. We talked about this earlier, but this is the verse. For you are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanliness. That's exactly those folks that he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Outwardly, you had beautiful. Man, nobody can tell. I'm at church every Sunday. I'm involved, whatever. But on the inside, dead men's bones, full of uncleanliness. In John, in First John chapter two and verse three, this is a tough verse for me to read, uh, just the grammar of it. But I'll try to do my best. And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He that saith, "I know Him," and keepeth not His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth His word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in Him. He that saith he abideth in Him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Lots of personal pronouns in there that get me tangled up. But what that verse is saying is that if we're listening to God and we're following His commandments, He knows that. Those are not the people that He's going to say, depart from me, get away from me, I never knew you. And that's what he tells us in the story. He says, those that hear my word and obey it are like somebody that builds their house on a rock. So he wants us to listen to him. Neither is there salvation in any other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the way, the only way. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the foundation. His word is the foundation. That is what we're to be building our Christian lives on. And if the test is, are we in love with Christ and are we following His commandments and doing what He asks us to do from the heart, not just outwardly manifesting it. So it's really, when I say inspecting your foundation, you're really becoming a heart surgeon this morning. You're opening this thing up, spreading the chest. You're looking at that heart, and you're going, is this a heart after Jesus Christ? Or is it not? Now, summing up the... I've got a couple more verses and then we'll be done. So when we think about this Sermon on the Mount, there's a couple of verses after the story about the two houses that I think are just amazing. The first one is that it was amazing. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at His doctrine. So just think about... Put yourself in the day and the time. And this guy comes and he starts picking apart the old law with unbelievable accuracy, with unbelievable power. 
In fact, it goes on to say in verse number 29, For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. You see, Jesus Christ wasn't Jesus Christ to them yet. He was a carpenter for Pete's sake. He was Mary and Joseph's boy. Yeah, he'd been around the synagogue a little bit, but all of a sudden this guy is climbing a mountain and he is obliterating the law that they live under. He's taking it piece by piece by piece by piece and saying, oh, this is outward. I want you to focus on the heart. And they're going, wow, this guy's teaching like he has authority, but he's not a scribe or a Pharisee or a religious leader of the day. He just climbed a mountain and started talking to us. So why is that? Well, one of the reasons is when a subject matter expert walks into the room and starts talking, people naturally give them the attention that they deserve and give them credit for being the subject matter expert. And he was portraying himself undoubtedly as the subject matter expert. They saw Jesus as one who taught with authority even though Um, He was a man here on the earth and had absolutely none. He was a carpenter. His words were inspiring. They were amazing at its relevance. Masterful interpretation of the law. Assaulted uh, the religious legalism and a clear call to true faith and salvation. And he taught with such force and clarity that it was obvious, obvious to them that he was the source of the truth. Amazing sermon in Acts, or sorry, Acts, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Culminates with the people that were there realizing that this guy that's talking is something special. He's got authority, not given by man, but he has authority. He knows the scriptures better than anybody alive. Later on, they come to find out there's a reason for that. He's also deity. He is also the Jesus that's coming. He's the Messiah. He's the Master. So are you building your house this morning on the right foundation? Are you... So just inspect your foundation for a moment. Think about how you spend your time. Think about that foundation. Because see, the foundation is a personal relationship with Jesus. Do you have it? Brother Eddie talked to us last Sunday night about asking, seeking, and knocking. Asking, talking to Jesus, asking Him prayer. Seeking His will for you in His Word. Knocking is a physical manifestation. We're getting up and we're moving. We're doing something. Is that the way we are? That's the way you develop that relationship with Him. See, you can't develop a relationship with God one hour a week on Sunday here, no matter how good the teaching, if you go spend the other 167 hours of the week out in the world worrying about worldly things. It will not work. You have to spend time seeking the Master and getting the heart right. 
The lesson of the morning is yours. Hopefully something was said there that stirs you to do some foundation. You know, this foundation here is a little off. We've talked about getting it repaired. Maybe you need some foundation repair this morning. I don't know to your heart. Maybe you need somebody to pray, to help you, to pray, to seek, to ask Jesus to help get my foundation right. Maybe you need to spend millions like they did on the Leaning Tower of Pisa to get your foundation right so that you can build your house on something that will last. The lesson is yours. If you have need of the church, come while we stand and sing.